Welcome to week two of the Messages from Malachi Sermon Series. Uh, as we get started here this morning, I have another one of my Ferris Wide Famous questions to kick things off. This one may not run as deep as you may be expecting. A question is this this morning, do you like leftovers? Who likes leftovers? Leftover foods. Raise your, raise your hand if you like leftovers. Ah, that might, might be, we might be able to split the church over that one. Um, First Church of Christ, leftovers. It's out there somewhere. Depends on the leftovers, maybe. At my house, kitchen leftovers sometimes go over about as well as an unpatriotic Nike shoe ad. Sorry, couldn't help it. It's too topical. But there's nothing like the feeling of cleaning up at dinner time, taking whatever's in that dish or that bowl that, uh, you know, the contents don't get eaten, wrapping it up, putting it in the fridge, completely forgetting it exists, sticking your face under the saran wrap a month later, finding something that slightly resembles the kid's science experiment. Leftovers, if not properly handled, if, if forgotten about, if not served quickly, can actually create a dangerous family environment. It's true. This is true. Have you ever said to your spouse, for example... How long do you think this tuna's been in the fridge, honey? Three days? Think it's safe to eat? And your spouse says back to you, the one thing you don't want to hear, right? I don't know. Smell it. <laughs> you say, no, that's all right. It's all right. It's looking like a honey ham sandwich kind of a day. And then the conversation starts all over because you're not sure exactly when the package of lunch meat was opened either. But the sermon has already hit rock bottom because we're talking about leftover lunch meat this early. Leftovers, they don't exactly make the most exciting meal offering, do they? Unless it's pizza. I could probably eat pizza left. Problem with pizza leftovers, you've got to have the pizza first before you can have leftovers. Sometimes leftovers are better. This is a rant for another time, isn't it? I am joining that Daniel Plan Diet group we have starting up. Do you ever think, though, you know, as exciting as leftovers aren't, to serve my family. From week to week, are leftovers exactly what I leave for the Lord? What I bring to God? Maybe this isn't you. Maybe this isn't you this morning. Maybe this isn't you from week to week. Maybe, maybe you consistently bring the Lord your very best to worship. Uh, you know, not just in the way you appear, present yourself before others, but also in the gifts that you bring at uh, tithe and offering time, in the service that you offer of your personal gifts and talents to the kingdom throughout the week, in the way you prioritize your week overall so that it's God-focused instead of self-focused. Maybe you already are bringing this kind of offering to God. But perhaps each of us should still ask ourselves from time to time, when you come into this place, what are you here for? What do you come here for from week to week? Are you here truly to worship God? Or do you find that some of the time, or even most of the time, you're just going, going through some motions? Does this become what we do in the church? I've been guilty before, checking a list. You know, it's Sunday. I've been to the church service, I, now I can go do what I want. And when you, then when you leave this place, what purpose do you go back out into the world? Is it for building God's kingdom? 
Do we go back out to build God's kingdom or do we go back out to build our own? I know I'm guilty of, of not giving God the first, not the best of what he's allowed me to have in my life, but just the leftovers. Been down that road. Just the whatever offering is left after I'm done having fun money. Just the routine, minimal time in the Bible so I can check it off my list for the week. Just the punch, uh, the Christian time clock at the church building so I can get back to doing what I want to do with my time. I'm the minister. There's no time clock here. I've looked for one. Not really. But, you know, we think, well, I'm just, I'm just not Billy Graham, right? I mean, that's not me. I'm not that guy. I, no, I, I don't exactly broadcast my faith 24-7, but I come to church. I give, I give it my time when I can. Isn't that an offering to God? What's the problem with the way I give an offering to God? Well, the problem is that not every offering presented to God is accepted by God. Malachi, or the messenger from God, brings the message that the spiritual leftovers offered up by God's people are in fact an offering that God can refuse. God calls us to honor and to fear Him in our giving. Open your Bibles with me to the first chapter of Malachi. We're going to read through verses 6 to 14 this morning. There's a little bit more text here uh, than usual. Uh, just uh, stick with us here. Verse 6 begins, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. Verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall accept that from your hand, says the Lord. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared. Among the nations. Okay, that's the end of our text this morning. A little bit more uh, than we usually take at a time. 
What's exa- what exactly is going on here? What's going on here, simply put, is that God's people at the time of Malachi, again, this is some, what, 400 years approximately before Christ on the timeline. God's people were bringing their leftovers to temple worship. Bringing their leftovers. Sometimes the worst and the least of what they could possibly get their hands on for offering. They were holding back the proverbial filet mignon while expecting God, the Lord of the universe, to accept a McDonald's hamburger. And even the people who were responsible in the temple for handling these sacrifices, the priests, they were accepting them. A blemished lamb might be brought to the temple and the priest would put it up in smoke anyway. Or the following scenario might happen. Someone might show up with a proper, a proper lamb, an unblemished offering as, as, their, as their offering, and the priest would swap it out for a, a slightly blemished one. After all, uh, they could make a profit from the unblemished one. What did it matter anyway, as long as those altar fires kept burning, right? You know, as long as things looked good, as long as it appeared that God's commandment and giving was being followed, it didn't matter, right? But it mattered to God. It mattered to God. It mattered to God that an offering less than the very best, when someone knew it was less than the very best they could give, was being presented before him. See, although the Jews believed they were being faithful children of God with what they were doing, they were actually being dishonorable servants. Verse 6. They were polluting and profaning his altar, verse 12, making it something secular. That's what this word profaning means. At the least, they were trying to put one over on him. In some cases, they were making a profit off of him. Instead of honoring their master, verse 6, remember Old Testament law expressly forbid the sacrificing of blemished animals. Leviticus 22, Deuteronomy 15. What was becoming the religion of the people? Convenience. Convenience. They were keeping something better for themselves. They were bringing God the leftovers. Bringing God the leftovers. And God is saying, I won't accept this. Verse 13. And here's the thing. It wasn't just an isolated incidence here and there of some dishonorable offerings being burned upon the altar. As we talked about... uh, week uh, a couple weeks back in part one of this series god's will what that was that his name verse verse 14 would be feared among the nations that he would be glorified the world over still is today but the state of corporate worship was so displeasing to god at this time the time of the prophet malachi it seems you know he wasn't even appearing to be looking for a, a moses or a noah men who were standing up within the temples and saying no we will we will serve only god not ourselves as though we're spoiled children verse 10 look at verse 10 again with me what does he say oh that there were one among you who would shut the doors God is so frustrated with these people, he's ready to hang a closed sign on the temple doors. So how does this apply to us today? Keeping in mind that this is the same God with the same will for his people. 
It's not easy to hear these words, but take a moment with me. Prayerfully consider the Lord looking down on you, the Lord looking down on me this morning at Ferris Church of Christ, knowing what we bring to Him as temples of the Holy Spirit ourselves. What message might Malachi similarly bring to us today as God's servants? Skim back through the text with me. Do you think God might say to us this morning, do you think he, he might say something like, where, where is my fear, O ministers of my word, from pulpits and pews, who despise my name by offering polluted tithes and offerings? Let's assume the Holy Spirit is directing this to us because he is. And then let's assume that you and I, fellow ministers of the word, let's assume you and I were to respond, how have we despised your name, O Lord? Look at verse 8 with me. Do you think the Lord going on here might ask us, when you spend or save the resources I've given to you on your own pleasures on earth and offer uh, uh, mere pennies in sacrifice into the offering plate for my kingdom, is that not evil? Do you think God might ask, when you offer an hour or two a week of personal attention to my word and the leading of my spirit, but days on end to your own agendas, hobbies, projects, habits, gossip, celebrities, social media, sports, gaming, community events, and politics? Is that not evil? Is it possible the Lord might comparatively challenge us with when you offer just moments of your, quote, free time to extending my kingdom with your talents and significant portions of your, quote, work and, quote, playtime to furthering your own gain status or standing among the kingdoms and communities of men, is that not evil? Now, this is not God's word. I'm just wondering, though, is it possible God might ask these things of you and of me this morning. You know, and maybe our, our great God would, uh, wouldn't have all, maybe just one or two, a uh, couple of these grievances against us. I don't know where your heart is before God when it comes uh, to giving back time, talents, and treasure, brothers and sisters. I know where I can approve in my giving. But I encourage you to prayerfully consider how you honor and fear the Lord, not just on Sunday, but all week long. Are we bringing him an offering that he can refuse? Are we? But time out, because here's, here's the thing. Here's what I don't want you to take from the message this morning. That somehow, unless you have a perfect offering to bring to God, unless you're perfect, you better just stay home because he doesn't want you as his child and servant. God expects perfect sacrifices upon his altar, yes, but fortunately, today's farmers don't have to worry about the state of their animals before the altar. We live in a fortunate time as Christians when we're baptized into Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, we have the great King, the Lord of hosts. He's been personally sacrificed for us. We've been justified, right, upon God's altar. So what does God expect from us, my friends, today? Not perfection, but He does expect our best, our very best. He expects our very best offered to him. And what does that look like? What does it look like to bring our very best before God? One way, when we, when we come up uh, onto the stage, when we come up to sing, when we uh, give a special, when we play for him at worship time, uh, we uh, 
sing and play with all of our heart, right? We don't just mouth some words. We don't have to hit every note perfectly, but we do have to present ourselves as God's child and servant. It's not just what we do, it's how we do it. When we, when, we, when we do write a check or we set aside uh, some of our uh, money for offering time, uh, God expects the best. God expects the first cut, not the Old Testament 10%, not the 2%, which Barna says today's Christians statistically give to their church. God expects the best. Really. That's what children and servants give. It's what we do. It's how we do it. When we teach a Sunday school class, when we give a communion meditation, when we write a report, God expects us not to just wing it, not to just ramble our way through. And this goes for preachers at the pulpit too. Not to just scratch some notes down on our way up to the podium. Not to get up at 5 o'clock that morning and, oh, to come prepared, on time even. And many of you do these things already, but see the what and the how are so important in our giving. The what and the how. If we're elders, uh, the best of our resources weekly to shepherding. If we're deacons serving, we've got a great group of guys here at Ferris that I, I believe understand that. That fruit can be seen and it. It makes a difference. But as far as the, the rest of us uh, ministers of God's word, God expects us to be using our time serving, evangelizing. This is our offering to him. You don't have to have the biggest flocks, the most time, and the greatest talents in something to build God's kingdom. But verse 6, do you want to honor your father and fear your master? Then you do have to allow God the best of your flocks, the largest portion of your time, and the most of your effort. Verse 14, our God is a great king, and our service offered to him represents our fear for his name among the nations. Otherwise, do we really stand out much from the nations? Do we really stand out much from everyone else? Now, I know, I know what naysayers may say about this message this morning. Nay. Because they're naysayers. That's not where I was going with that. Naysayers are likely to say, I knew it. I knew this preacher was going to go off about money. I knew it. He just can't talk about anything but giving up my money. That's all preachers talk about is money and me giving my money. And, and, and I don't know about all that, but I do know this morning's message goes far beyond you and your money. I'm actually saying today you are responsible for offering the first and best cut of all your resources. So you can be mad at me for everything. <laughs> Ultimately, this is about your heart. Where is your heart at? And, uh, I mean, just to be honest with you, do you think McDonald's isn't after your money, too? Or Walmart? Or Harley-Davidson? Or Plexus? Uh-oh, there he said it. You name it. But with all respect, the difference between these folks I mentioned and the Lord is at the end of your life, every penny you ever got your hands on for even a little while belonged to God all along and should have been handled accordingly. What we do with what he allows us is an act of worship. Uh, some people will say worship is what happens in this church building from between 1030 and 1140 or maybe 12 if the preacher keeps babbling too long. But that's not the defining example of worship. It's just a part of it. 
We have good news, you know, unlike the believers at the time of Malachi, we aren't under a religious obligation to go down to the temple anymore. Instead, as Christians, as individually temples of the Holy Spirit, worship is a minute-by-minute experience from within you, or it's not. Do you have a heart for the Lord each morning, including Sunday morning? Or do we just want to get the morning over with? I've had those I've had those times in my life. Uh, you know, let's just get this over with today. I'm tired, guilty. We we can just we can get so used to just doing the church thing, can't we? Letting our faith be a spectator activity that God never intended it to be. I, I touched on this briefly on the first part of this. We we don't have to be very old to to think of Sunday morning church services as boring, right? One, uh, one preacher tells the story about a, a cathedral in his hometown of, of Vancouver, British Columbia. This, uh, this particular cathedral has colorful stained glass windows. Uh, the windows were donated after World War II. And they were donated in honor of the servicemen who sacrificed their lives. The windows actually illustrated uh, pictures of soldiers. And one day, uh, the preacher overheard an exchange between a little boy and his mother. Uh, Pointing to the stained glass, the little boy said, Mommy, who are those people on the windows? His mom replied, Those are the people who died in the service. The little boy said back, Mommy, did they die during worship or at Sunday school? We laugh at that, but let's be honest, we've all sat through a service before which inspired us to say, I never thought I was going to get out of there. I was ready to die. Hopefully not here, but but how often do we think of a stuffy, reserved atmosphere, right, with, with, with a worship service, and God doesn't want that. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to despise his name and go through some motions. He doesn't want us showing up in his house half unconscious, ready to fall asleep as soon as the communion song is over. If that's our attitude, we we might as well just lock those doors up and go home, not not play the part. Or we remember that he is a great king, and we are his children, and we are his servants. Where is your focus? Here's an exercise you might try. Someone has written here, take a moment every so often to reflect on the following. And I challenge you to do this. Ask yourself these questions. Why do you pray? Why do you pray? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you, why do you attend a weekly worship service? Why do you give your tithes and offerings? Why do you receive communion? Why do you urge your friends and family to be reconciled to God through Jesus? Why do you serve among the church? Because if you do these things grudgingly, calling it a weariness, there's a chance you've lost that fear of the Lord. Bringing God an offering, maybe, but an offering that he can refuse. But maybe you're asking, well, what am I supposed to be offering to God, preacher? What what does he expect from me, from my time, talent, and resources? And while I can't answer that for you personally, individually, and specifically, you see, that's the beauty of having the indwelling Holy Spirit that's between you and God. 
That's between you and God. But I'd like to send you off with just a few passages of Scripture. Uh, if you're taking notes this morning or, or you're not, but you just want to jot these down, uh, I encourage you to, to do this, to take these uh, following Scripture references home. Pray over them. Twelfth chapter of Mark. Mark 12, verses 41 to 44. Make a note of that. Mark 12, 41 to 44. This is the story of the poor widow. Mark 12, 41 to 44. Check that out. Pray over that. John, uh, the book of John, chapter 12, 1 to 8. I'm specifically con uh, consciously giving you New Testament passages to look at. This is regarding Mary uh, anointing Jesus. And, and one more text for you. This is uh, uh, from the Apostle Paul here. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. I believe these scriptures, my friends, give you some ideas to take to prayer time regarding stewardship. But here's a hint. Proper worship will turn that spiritual McDonald's burger you're flipping on the altar right back into being the proverbial filet mignon as it should be. I do challenge myself to come up with a weirder metaphor every week. God wants your sacrificial best. He wants your sacrificial best. This last week, I was, I was blessed to be a part of the, uh, uh, the worship group uh, for the uh, adult retreat over at Rock Lake Christian Assembly. We had a, a wonderful time. This camp's also known as Codger Camp. I didn't make that up. It was a really good time, uh, along with uh, Cody joined me. Uh, Steve from over at the McBride Church was along for that. And uh, one thing I found out was I was one of the youngest codgers there. I don't know what the age requirement is for codger. Does anybody? But I heard part of a devotion that reminded me of something uh, significant in relation to our text. Did you know that it's truly a mark of every civilized society from the pages of history that a son honors his father and a servant fears his master, as the prophet says? This is a mark of civilization. Otherwise, it's anarchy, right? Under the law of Moses, check this out. You might want to make a note of this. This is really cool. Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. Rebellious sons who refused the discipline of their parents were to be stoned to death. And I'm seeing some parents' eyes get real big right now. Preacher, you're blowing our minds. This is Old Covenant. But old Covenant. But Christians today are, are still called to be not just obedient to their father, but to remember we are servants. We are servants. We love the first part that we're children. The second part we don't like as much. I'm servants too. The second part doesn't come so easy. The implication that it's not just what we do for God that's important, but how we do it. It's truly a display of where we place God in our lives. Amen. When it comes to giving to God, Minimally, verse 8 of our text asks, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? You know, we don't make the last cut of our resources to the tax man, verse 8. In fact, no matter how we personally feel about where our resources are going in government, we still are obligated to give them up, right? Often first and unfortunately considerable in dollar amount. So why do we offer anything less? I'm just wondering, why do we offer 
anything less to the one who's over all, who governs all, who offered himself to all as an unblemished lamb of God upon the cross for each one of us. Why do we offer less than the very best? Less than the very best. Speaking of that cross, sacrifice isn't easy. Sacrifice isn't intended to be easy. If sacrifice were easy, it wouldn't be called sacrifice. It'd be called TV or something else. But God will bless. He will bless. He will be gracious to our unblemished offerings, no matter how difficult they may be to us to give up. He promises this in verse 9. And so I challenge you, my friends, to take this text home. All of you who share in the priesthood of believers along with me in the covenant under Christ, every Christian here, take Malachi, the first chapter 6 to 14 home, pray over it this week. May it be a blessing to you today. See how it may apply to your life. Ask God to convict you where your stewardship is less than honorable, less than fearful of who God is. For our God deserves not just the leftovers, but our very best. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word, cover to cover, Lord. I thank you so much for the promises that we have in you, the sacrifice that's been made. Lord, we don't have to literally drag those animal sacrifices to the temple every week. All of that's been covered. Lord, we know our sins have been taken care of and we're justified before you. And Lord, I pray, that, I pray that the words that we've uh, heard from this morning, Lord, that, that we understand that this message still is for us today. Lord, you desire a, a relationship with each one of us in this room. It's not about keeping a checklist. It's not about meeting some minimum amount of anything. But it's about checking our hearts at the door when we come in here. Before we do anything to serve you, we remember this is our offering to you. Lord, the least we can do is be those living sacrifices that your word, that your word is asked of us. To remember your love. To remember that you've adopted us as your children. How awesome is that? But to remember that there's a world around us that has yet to come into the family. Help us to remember why we have our time, our talent, our treasure. And to pass it on to those who are without. Lord, you, you've given us so much. You, you give us life. You give us everything that we have. You, you've saved us. 
We don't have to worry about keeping every single little uh, commandment from the law because that's been fulfilled in, in Jesus. But you ask for our heart and you ask for our very best. Help us, Lord, to bring an offering to you every day, every minute. It's from the heart. Lord, for your love, for your grace and mercy, we, we can't understand, but we, we are so thankful. And Lord, I pray that if there, there, was no, there is uh, anyone here that, that doesn't know you, that has not received you as Lord and Savior, that has not gone down into those waters of baptism and come up a new creation, Lord, I pray that they would come forward and receive you today. You know, today is the day of salvation. These things I ask in the name of Jesus, amen. These words that we've heard today, I pray that they uh, would continue to work in us as, as God's children. And remember, those offerings that you bring, they don't save you. <laughs> the sacrifice on the cross saved you. But we have a response every day to what's been done to us. If you have a public decision you'd like to make today, we invite you to come forward. We're going to stand and sing about our great God, about the sacrifice that's been made for us, that perfect, unblemished Lamb of God. If our God saves, if Brother Gerald would step forward.